Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning, to have the privilege of sharing God's word with you. And I pray that God will speak to us all during these next few minutes together. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it doesn't change. We thank you for its relevance for us today. Help us to have ears to hear and help us to understand what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. In our series called To Follow Jesus, we are looking at some different passages in the Gospel of Mark. And this week we are considering the subject called to understand from Mark chapter 8, from 11 right through to verse 33. I wonder just how much understanding, even in general, goes on today. It appears that life for many people I talk to is mainly about experiencing and responding to things, good and bad, and how that makes them feel without necessarily gaining any understanding through and from these experiences. Ultimately, that response says to me or indicates to me that life is all about me and how things make me feel. Why is an understanding so important then? In one sense, it's through understanding that we can both navigate through these circumstances that we face while also learning from them once they are over. When Jesus was here, I don't think it was really so different. The disciples experienced so much of Jesus' ministry. The teaching and the miracles seemed to be taken often just at face value, causing them to feel confused or amazed or even fearful. But often Jesus has to point out to them that they are lacking in understanding. How they have felt is not the issue. But they were certainly not the only ones that this applied to. When we read about the parable of the sower recently, Jesus talked about many in the crowd who were hearing, ever hearing, but never understanding. And what we are thinking about this morning is having spiritual understanding. It made me think back to the many thousands of sermons that I have heard in my life, many which went right over my head, but many more which I could say that I understood, but didn't actually consider what is God saying to me? How often do you hear a sermon and say, oh, I quite enjoyed that, or as the Bible says, it tickles your ears? But how often do you discern and understand the voice of God? I believe that is what is at the heart of spiritual understanding, to discern what God is saying. What is God saying to me through his word, by his spirit, through the circumstances of life that I'm facing? As a pastor, when I'm preparing, I have to ask, what do I hear that God is wanting to say to his people? You know, this is never meant to be an intellectual experience or a listening experience for you, but that there would be a desire to listen to his voice. It's actually incredibly exciting and humbling to think that God himself wants to speak directly to me and to you. And yet, in honest reality, we 
lose that wonder and expectancy so easily? How can we treat such a privilege in such a blase way? As Clive was saying last week, we would love to hear back from you from the sermons that are preached. We don't want to receive feedback from you in order to receive a pat on the back. Rather that we can know that God is speaking, that you have an understanding of what he's saying to you, and so that we can pray for you and support you. How do we then receive this understanding? In the Psalms, David says, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. So we find that understanding comes from seeking. So seeking and expectancy are the parts for us to play in order to come to that place of understanding. In Luke 24, we read that Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures, which shows that it's God himself who ultimately gives us that understanding that we need, which we will come to shortly. As we will see from this passage, there is understanding that seems right to people, but which is completely wrong because the source of the understanding is faulty or completely wrong. As is so often the case, that applies to the first group of people that we meet in our passage today, the Pharisees. They watched, they listened, and they made up their own minds. It's rather ironic and sad that these religious leaders had no spiritual understanding when God himself stood in front of them. They were blind. Verse 11 says the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. In order for them to, to understand, they claimed that if they saw a miracle, that would convince them. I'm not so sure. That didn't even work for the disciples. Think back a couple of weeks just after the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus had come to the disciples on the lake and stilled the storm. And what does it say? Mark 6 and 52. They still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the multiplied loaves for their hearts were hard and they did not believe. It was just about what they could see with their physical eyes but lacking spiritual understanding. The context we find ourselves in here this morning is that Jesus has just performed a similar miracle to the feeding of the 5,000. This time, it was the feeding of the 4,000. Though he had three whole additional loaves of bread to feed them than he had for the 5,000. What further sign did the Pharisees need? Well, perhaps they had not been witnesses to that one, but they had seen and heard of many others. It's an obviously an important issue because all four Gospels record this section. Primarily, it's about a lack of faith and spiritual understanding in these religious leaders. It's very frustrating for Jesus. I love his response here. Verse 12, he sighed deeply. I'm sure you can relate to that happening many times in your life. And it's a nice little reminder of Jesus' humanity. Jesus thinks, I've been there, I've done that. 
Why do you not get it? Why can't you truly seek? He goes on and he said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. They needed to have faith in him as the Messiah for who he was, not for what he did. And yes, he could have done just that to prove himself, just as the devil had tempted him to do when he was in the desert for 40 days. But faith in him was not to be by seeing. Romans 10 tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing comes through the word of God. I'm thankful for God's grace that he still often gives us signs to direct and encourage us today. But the reality is that it's not always the norm, as he more generally speaks to us through his word. So if we do not receive a sign, will we still trust in him and his promises? I believe that if we are regularly in God's word, we will hear him speak to us. Verse 13 says, Then he left them, got back in the boat and crossed to the other side. It was time for a sharp exit. Jesus doesn't want to give too much of his time to the Pharisees as there are more important things for him to be doing. I wonder if the disciples now just wondered what's going to happen next when they were with Jesus. Remember the two previous times that we read of them being in a boat with Jesus, they had been in terrifying deadly storms, both of which Jesus had stilled. So perhaps they were a little bit preoccupied with that as they were preparing to leave. Maybe it's because of this I give them the benefit of the doubt for what happens. Verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. They had just collected up seven baskets full of food. But apart from one measly roll, they had somehow managed to forget to bring their supplies with them. And I think they were thinking about their stomachs. Verse 15 says, Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. What a strange statement to make. It causes them to scratch their heads yet again. What does Jesus mean? Verse 16 says, they discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. And so we come back to this issue of understanding. I was listening to Clive's latest podcast this week with Ellis Potter. As many of you will know, Ellis Potter is someone who causes you to think in ways that you have probably never thought before. I felt like my brain was going to explode after it. And I'm not surprised that Clive, I think, had to lie down in a dark room when he had finished it. But you know, it's good for us to use our God-given minds to strive for understanding. Likewise, Jesus didn't make it easy for his disciples when he gave them answers to their questions. Like Ellis Potter, many of Jesus' answers were often in the form of more questions. And here we read of eight questions that he gives them in response. From verse 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? You see, the issue here is not the literal bread that they're concerned about and their own stomachs. He challenges them on their lack of understanding. 
Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Verse 18. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? The silence that follows would indicate that they did not understand, that he was trying to show them who he was. And it's to his credit that Mark includes all their failings as disciples, including his own at this time. Jesus wants them to understand, but so often does not give them simple answers. It's actually really another mini parable for them to think about. What does it mean and why does it matter? You know, yeast is a very strange substance. It's believed that though yeast is thought to have been used for thousands of years, it was not until the 1800s that there became a much fuller understanding of what it was all about. I didn't know much about it, to be honest, until I researched a little. A packet of yeast, a small packet, is actually composed of billions of cells or microorganisms. It said yeast is simply too small to be detected by the naked eye. And they have to be clumped together billions of times just to fit in a packet. And yet the influence of yeast is incredible. To raise 500 pounds of dough would only require two pounds of yeast. Two pounds for 500 pounds. In a negative way, the influence and the wrong attitudes and the lack of faith of Herod, and particularly the Pharisees, was having a similar effect on the people of Israel. In this context, yeast is related to Old Testament times when the people were ordered to remove yeast from their homes before they celebrated the first Passover, where yeast is viewed as a symbol of sin. You know, influences can have a huge impact on our lives and on our understanding. In the very first Psalm, we are warned not to walk in step with the wicked. Because the company that we keep matters. Do you have people who drag you down? Do you have people around you who encourage you and lift you up and support you in your faith? Relationships matter. And that's why the word tells us that as Christians, we should not get into relationship and marriage with unbelievers and settle for less than his lordship because ultimately that's what it's all about. It's for our good and for our protection. We can be so influenced by what we listen to and what we watch and what we absorb from our culture. Like that yeast, they can perhaps seem insignificant to us. Perhaps we can hardly see it, but the power to influence our understanding is huge. We need to have an understanding, an honest understanding of our spiritual state. As Jesus asked the disciples, are we hard-hearted? Do we listen and not hear, see and not understand? 
Do we not remember what God has done for us? The disciples had not yet come to a place of understanding. And so they continue on together. In verse 22, it says they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. I'm not going to stay in this little passage long because, of course, this again shows us Jesus' love and compassion for the needy, for the individual as he heals this blind man. But to look at it from a spiritual perspective, I believe this miracle just seems to fit perfectly with all that's going on as we think about the blindness of the Pharisees and even the disciples. And here Jesus demonstrates that he is the only one who can open the eyes of the blind so that people can see things clearly. Some would say that even this partial step for this man to come to sight was in line with the disciples' journey of understanding too. Verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? More questions for the disciples. It starts in a general way with Jesus asking them, what are the views of the people who are coming to hear me? Yes, they say they, they know that he is special, that he comes from God, but that's all. The clarity and the faith of believing that he is the Messiah is not there. Maybe most of the disciples thought similarly at this point. Jesus is being compared to other great prophets and great men of God. It's based on what he's done and said, rather than them making the link to who, he truly, to who he truly was. And then comes that key question. It's the most important question in the world still today. And it comes in a personal way to all of us. To those who are antagonistic, who do you say I am? To the inquisitive, who do you say I am? To the follower, who do you say I am? And the answer to that question has eternal consequences. If he is who he claims to be, then we must put our whole trust in him and follow him. If you don't believe he's the son of God and you reject the Bible and the truth of God's word, the whole thing must be dismissed out of hand as a lie. If you are searching, then seek him with all your heart and he will show himself to you. He will open your eyes. He will give you understanding of who he is and what he has to say through his word. If you do follow, then that has to have an impact on every area of your life. 
The old saying when I was growing up was, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Are there areas of your life that you keep, that you have a keep out sign up for God? Maybe it's a relationship or a habit, maybe an attitude or the way you do your work. Transferring ownership of everything to him puts it into the safest of hands. Peter gets it. This is the high point for him so far. We read, Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Peter is the only one of the 12 to voice this great truth. It's been revealed to him by God, but Jesus tells them to keep that to themselves, themselves as it's not yet time for him to be made known to the world. Peter, as many of us will know, is a big character with many flaws. But at this point, I think he feels pretty good about himself. He's close to the actual Messiah, the one who is going to rule and overthrow the Romans and establish the kingdom of God on earth. How amazing. In his pride, he is about to have a terrible fall. Verse 31 says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus spells out what is going to happen to him, the Messiah. We know exactly what rising from the dead meant, and it seems so obvious to us, but somehow they didn't get it. Why not? Many say that in their Jewish understanding, they would have thought he meant in an obscure way that it was rising at the last day. What? Wait a minute, thought Peter in his understanding. That cannot be right, what you're saying here. That's not what happens to the Messiah. The Messiah is not going to be arrested and beaten and killed, at least not on my watch. Does Jesus not trust me to protect him? Verse 32 says, he spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Probably something like, excuse me, Jesus, can I have a wee word in your ear? I think you've got it wrong. This can't be part of the plan. In fact, I'm not going to let it happen. In fact, it's not Peter's understanding at all. It's the devil himself who is behind Peter's reaction. And verse 33 says, But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, what humanly speaking, what Peter says makes perfect sense, but not in God's ways of looking at things. The commentator Alan Cole interestingly writes, Note that Satan's suggestion is not blasphemous or obviously evil. It's smooth, attractive and natural, appealing to all natural human instincts. That is why it is so dangerous. Wasn't blasphemous, wasn't obviously evil. It was smoothly attractive and naturally appealing to natural human instincts. And that is so often the subtle way in which the devil works. 
Because the devil will do everything in his power to try to stop God's plans. But Jesus had perfect understanding of God's plan. And also he knew the source of Peter's response. He would not allow anything to deflect him from being obedient to that. And so he says, get behind me, Satan. Imagine how shocked Peter was to hear these words. So soon after his declaration of Jesus as the Messiah. We can all be like that. When things go wrong, we can be so quick to question what God is doing. I don't want to lose my job. Why am I struggling with health? Why are my loved ones struggling? It's a question that comes from our human understanding. But that is a fundamental misunderstanding of who God is. God's promise, as Ellis Porter said in the podcast, something I found really helpful. God's promise is basically to say to us, if you trust me, I'll be with you. And that's all we'll need. I am with you. That has to be our foundational understanding for our faith so that we're not tossed and turned by our feelings and when the storms hit. Our understanding is to be influenced by who God is and our trust in him, to listen to his word and to be guided by his spirit. Let us take time to look at our lives and be honest before God as we take stock. Where is your understanding today? Is it being influenced by others? Is it based on your own thinking? Is it being shaped by the devil and the things of this world? Has your heart become hardened? Are you going through the motions and lacking in expectation? Or is your understanding rooted in Christ and in the word of God? As he opens our eyes to come to faith, he wants us to keep our eyes open to what he's saying and doing in our lives and in the lives of others. But will you listen? Will you see? Let's spend just a short time in quiet and reflect on what God has been saying Father God, examine our hearts. Thank you that you know us. Help us to be honest and to reflect on the basis of our understanding. To recognise any negative influences, things in our lives that prevent us from following you and hearing you and walking in your ways. Help us not to just move on from this point to the next thing, but by your spirit, touch our minds, open our eyes, touch our hearts. Help us to hear you speak. Help us to make the changes that we need to make in our lives in order to live holy lives that are pleasing to you. Help us to seek after you in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Please get in touch with us at questions at kurtlistoncc.com. 
if you've heard God speak to you today or for any needs that you may have so that we can pray for you and try to support you. The final song that we're about to watch uh, was shown at our most recent evening service in church and it struck an additional chord to me because when I saw it at first, the title, I thought, oh, but it's a really powerful video. It struck me because it pre presents the stark reality of what we are going through today in this world. But in the midst of that, it presents us with the greater reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and brings us movingly back to him at the end because he is the one who opens our blind eyes as we thought earlier. He is the one who saves us, who keeps us and will take us to be with him forever in heaven. Praise God for his amazing grace. Amen.